0: My name is Don Taylor and I am an international trauma specialist and personal and business life strategist. And I'm based out of Canada and I'm here today interviewing one of my amazing clients, Sarah Snyder. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, so I'm Sarah. I am a licensed professional counselor out of the United States. Um, I've been a client of yours since, I guess, April or May of last year of really 2020. Glad. Yeah. And, uh... I guess we decided we were going to do this episode together because I really wanted people to know that there's hope for people like me that have struggled for a long, long time. Um, and just for us to talk about kind of you know, how we work together and what you're able to help me through. Absolutely. So talk to me about when we met. When we first met, I remember getting an email asking or a Facebook message asking you want to write a book about your life and you were wondering if you could pick my brain. And I was like, absolutely, because having written a book about my own life, I was really excited to talk to someone else about theirs. But talk to me about where you were at in life at that point when we had that conversation. So it's funny to me now, uh, because back then I thought I was really in a a good place. Uh, I was having daily, pretty much daily suicidal thoughts numerous times a day but I had lost some of the intent behind the action, but I still had the thoughts. I was still going to pretty severe depressive episodes. Um, But in my mind, that was, I don't know, I wasn't being hospitalized all the time anymore. And so in my mind, I was like, well, this is the best my life's going to get. Like I can write my book. Like, you know, this would be good. Um, But it's funny now to look back and be like, man, like I was struggling and I was struggling hardcore. It's just that, you know, it's a different life now today. Oh, you really were. I remember, do you remember when we were talking about it? And I said, you know, if you're going to write a book about your childhood and some of your trauma that you've lived through, you do know it, like, it's going to be out there for the public. And you were like, oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, so tell me about it. And you like, I slammed up. Like you (laughs) not say a word about your past. And I was like, so I'm pretty sure you're not ready to read a book or sorry, write a book yet let me know when you are it was funny because I think you were kind of mad at me (laughs) a little bit but it was funny to me because uh when we first met it wasn't under the guise of coaching that's not why you know that obviously that's not why I reached out and at the end you were like you know I'd I'd be willing to coach if you were ever interested in that and I was like Huh, this is strange because I feel like I'm okay (laughs) and the look on your face like you were always so composed (laughs) and always so like perfect like but the look on your face was like shock that you thought that I was in such a good place I was like oh maybe <laughs> she can help me uh but we got off the call and I thought more and more about it and I hadn't hadn't really ever met anybody that spoke my language and I felt like when we had talked during that call you actually understood me and you actually spoke my language and I was like maybe she can help like maybe there is kind of more hope maybe there is hope for me that I didn't realize was out there and so I don't know so much hope So much hope. So if you're willing, would you like to tell us a little bit about your childhood as much as, as much as you're willing to go into? Sure. Um, so the brief is that I was raised in a, a cult or a cult like environment. Um, I was sexually abused pretty much the entirety of my childhood. Uh, some of my first memories are being abused up until I was about 12 or 13. Um, you know, it's funny. There's just a lot, about that particular situation, about, you know, when when you outcry, right. And people don't respond or people don't help you. And you find out people knew what was going on and didn't protect you and things like that, right. That just should never happen to a kid uh, at all, but it turned into, you know, as I, as I continued into adulthood, right. I took on a lot of shame for things that I didn't deserve to take on shame for. Um, and I took on a lot of, I don't know, depression right and suicidal ideation and a bunch of other things that totally. that i didn't need to own but i owned because i didn't know how else to cope oh but it was your it was just coping skills 100 percent it was and so with that you also ended up with a lot of different diagnoses didn't you i did so uh i i've had a, quite a few but first they diagnosed me with major depressive disorder and then i got into college and they said no it's bipolar disorder and then um I had a couple of psychiatric hospitalizations and during those hospitalizations, they actually came and they said, no, you actually have dissociative identity disorder, uh, DID, which is formerly multiple personality disorder. And I was licensed as a therapist or getting my license up during those hospitalizations. And so I knew that was a quote unquote, like, uh, like a serious diagnosis, right? And so I said, I said, <laughs> I no, do no. that one's a serious one, but <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, so I was like, no, no, like I told the doctors that F off. I'm, I'm not talking about this with you. It's not a no. Um and then I guess about I don't know about six years ago, I met a therapist um and she did some testing with me and, and started working with me one on one. And she's the one that was like Sarah, like you need to really look at your symptoms and like look at what's going on in your life. And I finally accepted, right, that that was that was the appropriate diagnosis for me. I was also I on. Sorry, I like there's one other thing. Yeah, let me have one of they. They had me on uh, in 2019. At one point, I was on 15 psychiatric meds concurrently, so at a time, uh, which is amazing to me now <laughs> because I'm not on any and haven't been for a long time now. Um, so. I don't know. It's just so weird. Like I lost so much of, uh, and I'm not fundamentally against psychiatric meds. I think there's a time and a place for them. Oh, um,
1: but 15
0: meds at one time, like I just, they, but they couldn't. And the doctor, my psychiatrist told me not long before I met you, my doctor actually told me, she said, I don't know what else to do for you. And um, she said, uh, we, 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 I don't know how else to help you. I don't know what else to do. She's like, you're on every med. You've been on every med that I can think of to put you on. Um, and even my, my therapist at the time was kind of like, so we're trying, but we we don't know, (laughs) I don't know what to do anymore with you basically. Uh, which is real hard to hear, you know, when you're in that spot. On that note, I say this to people all the time, get other opinions, reach out, go different directions, right? Because one might not be able to help you, but I mean, look at us, this random phone call about writing a book resulted in some pretty crazy results for you. So tell us a little bit about the DID. Like, what does that actually mean? And what did like daily life look like for you dealing with that? So it's interesting. They've actually made horror movies uh, about DID, um, which is really, which is really sad, you know, because it's a beautiful coping skill Uh, because what it does is when it's, it's primarily it's developed, you know, when children have ongoing pervasive trauma that they can't escape. Um, And what it does is it allows you to basically have multiple personalities, right? And you don't remember things that happened to you. So as a child, right, it's a beautiful coping skill. But when you become an adult with that, (laughs) people can't typically tell, like people can never really tell when they met me and I had a successful career, I still do, right? Everything was great, uh, as far as like career wise, but I would forget things all the time. I would go to the grocery store and I would come out and not have any idea what I had purchased, right? And I would have a bunch of toys, right? That I had bought and not know why. I would go on vacations to Europe uh, with friends and not remember huge chunks of the vacation. And, and they would get upset when we got back. and like, Do you remember going to this restaurant or that restaurant? I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to fake it, right? Um, I would meet people all the time uh, and not have any memory of meeting them, right? Because it was essentially like a different personality that had met them and I would have to fake it there were times, it was funny, there were times, especially in university, when, in college, when I was stressed out, uh, there were times when I call it waking up, like I would I would, like, come to and I'd be answering a question or giving a speech or doing something and not have any idea what had come out of my mouth, not had any idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, and so I thought I had early onset Alzheimer's. That's what I had told myself was that I had early onset Alzheimer's. And so I took pictures of everything because it was the only way I could remember anything. Um, so Yeah. Which, by the way, you still do, and they're beautiful. Thank you. Like it's, it's, now I it's a love how many pictures. <laughs> I know, right? But now it's not out of a need to. Yeah. So how has our work been so different? Like in the nine months that we've worked together, because you've made claims that the DID is cured. Like it's gone. And I know that your psychiatrist, your psychologist, they're a little like what the heck is going on, (laughs) but how has, how has like traditional therapy versus what we've done been like, how has that worked out for you? What are the results been? Where are you at right now? So it's interesting because one of the things that with the, with the dissociation is that I had a lot of chatter in my head, uh, pretty much all the time. And so people will often say, well, like how many voices do you have and how, how many persons and all this, that, and the other, Um, And it's not that they were all present all the time, right? But, But not only did I lose track of time, right? But I also often had other conversations going on in my head to the point where sometimes I would like hit myself in my head just because it would be so loud and I couldn't get it to get quiet. And my therapist you know, as a therapist, right. I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the licensing rules and regulations. And she, she would try sometimes to kind of sort of get to know them. Um, but in 15 minutes, once a week, like they're just, it, it just wasn't going to happen. And then you came along and you were like, no, totally. It's cool. They can ask me whatever. And I, you know, as a therapist, like, you're also not allowed to, to give clients much information about yourself. Right. So that trust factor was difficult to overcome too. Um, but anyway, but then you came along and you were like, no, I want to know them. Like, let's talk. Well, oh, I and nicknamed you, them. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, because I kind of talked about them in generalities, but you were like, no, like let's go ahead and give them the names. Like, let's get to know them. Let's um they, you let them ask you whatever questions they wanted to ask you. but you you didn't 100%. you didn't care. And you would send them videos too, right? Like specific ones. You'd be like, here's a short little video to whichever one had the question or whichever one was, I don't know, curious at the time coloring sheets (laughs) and coloring sheets. Yep. And it got to the point where they felt safe with you because they felt like you saw them and knew them. And it also felt like they saw you and knew you, uh, which was had never happened before at ever, And, um, and then you started to do things where, which was interesting to me, where you, you would ask them to leave so that you could actually just coach me. Um, And that never happened. Like that wasn't a thing in my life. (laughs) And so, but they trusted you enough that they were like, Oh, like, okay. Like we can leave her. Like they felt safe enough to leave so that you and I could interact with other people. They never felt safe enough to leave me alone. It's hard to explain to people, but um, I don't, I don't even know that you realize that that's part of the foundation of how they were finally able to go all together. It is because it was almost like reps. Like they had to, they had to practice, leaving me alone to see if I could keep myself safe. Right. And then eventually I got to where it was like, Oh no. So. Well, and with that though, part of that was I, because I look at things so differently in coaching and life and mental health, part of it was, I was like, I can't coach the core you if they feel unsafe that I'm trying to get rid of them and they feel totally unsafe. So how do I become friends with them, make them feel safe so that I can ask them to step out of the room for a minute to actually do the core work with you? Because of course, in every single therapy session you've probably had in your entire life, they were like, "Mm, no, we're not going out. Like they were just like yammering in the background to try to protect you and take care of you because that's their job. It's funny because people talk, you know, people who have the ID. Often talk about like integration. And some people are against integration and some people are for integration. And integration is basically like when when you kind of the person always kind of come in, right? You kind of lose them. But the thing about integration that's interesting is people say, well, they still can come back, like they're still there. And so that's kind of the unique thing about how I feel today. Is that they're literally gone, and and to the point where like I had to grieve them. Like even this morning, like I knew we were going to have this this chat this today, and I had to walk along the beach and like think about like it's weird. My life is so much better now, but like there's still a grief that you. I lost a bunch of friends. <laughs> like it, it, they were know, your buddies, but they're but it's interesting because I mean they're gone. Like they're not there. Like. I couldn't even call him back if I wanted to, which is, I don't know. It's hard to explain to people how different things are in my brain now, how quiet things are and how calm things are and how I'm able to like concentrate and focus. And I don't, it's, it's a different life. Oh, hundred percent. So talk to me about what is life like you, what is life like for you today? Now that like we've done this work and We've gotten to this point where, like, you don't have the voices in your head. You're not having the suicidal thoughts. Like, where are you at right now, today, nine months later? So, I am from Texas, but I'm currently living in Costa Rica. (laughs) It had been my dream for a long time. Not a bad thing. (laughs) Not (laughs) a bad thing. Uh, It had been my dream for a long, long time to live as a digital nomad, Um, but I didn't have the courage in myself or the faith in myself or the belief in myself to actually do it. Um, In October, Mm -hmm. I finally was like, okay, I have faith in myself enough to do it, right? And so I went and I lived in Aruba for three months and now I'm in Costa Rica. Um, I don't know where I'll go next, but we'll see. Um, I'm off all my psychiatric meds uh, for almost seven months now. I haven't had any psychiatric meds. Um, I just take a daily thyroid and a a vitamin, which is weird, right? If you think about the fact I used to be on 15 at a time. (laughs) Well, Uh, a quick pause on that. It's not that you've just gone off of them and you've just lived this like really boring, quiet, neutral life that has not brought any stress or anxiety or like, (laughs) right? Like you've lived through a global pandemic and moving and changing careers and starting a different business. Like you've had some pretty crazy stuff go on in that nine months of not being on meds. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing because I tell people, I was like, I'm living the life of my dreams and people mistake that. Right. And they think that life is perfect. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) uh, I get lost in strange cities where I don't speak the language and get really scared sometimes. And I, you know, I can't, I don't know. I get worried about, you know, missing friends, right. Or I miss my dog or, I don't know, like life isn't quote unquote perfect. It's just that now I look at things and I'm like, what can I be thankful for? What can I be curious about? Or how, you know, what can I learn from this particular situation? Um, So uh, it's just my whole viewpoint on life has shifted. Like I don't, you know, I asked somebody one time, I met somebody years ago um, and they had told me they had been suicidal once in their life and they weren't anymore. And I said, well, don't you ever worry? That you're actually going to, doesn't that come that fear come back, right? That you're going to take your life someday. And the person looking at me and he said, no, he said, I, I don't worry about that anymore. And I thought that there's no way that's possible. Right. Because I thought about it every day all the time. So I was like, there's no way that I could fundamentally have this like view of my life someday where I'm like, no, I will never take my own life. Right. Cause it was such a, a thought for me all the time. And I realized yesterday, I was like, I don't, I'll never take my own life. Like I'm not It's fine. Like I've worked through what I needed to work through with you and the trauma I experienced and the guilt and the shame that I didn't deserve to feel. And am I thinking about my life and and myself, right? My connection to myself and my love for myself is so different that I will never take my own life. And I can confidently say that. And I've never in 39 years of life, ever been able to say that before. So, thank you pretty. Oh girl, you're so welcome. You you did the work. (laughs) I may have guided you, but you did a lot of work over this last nine months. What have you learned about yourself from sharing your story and starting to open up with people? Because so many people in your life had no idea what was going on, and all of a sudden you're posting things and writing about things and opening up. And like, there's a different level of vulnerability that's gone on with you in the last nine months. Uh, there's a huge <laughs> different level of vulnerability that's gone on. An <laughs> statement of the day. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I'm. I'm learning that it's okay to share. I'm learning that it's okay to talk about, and I'm learning that, um, it's a balance, right? Because I want other people to know there's hope. I want other people to know that, that they can heal. I want other people to know that, that there's, there's, I don't know that, that, that life can be this good. Right. Cause I didn't even know life could ever be this good period. Like I didn't know people could experience this kind of joy. Um, but I'm also realizing that I have to kind of protect myself too. Right. And that what I share is in a little bit of a selfish way for me, right. To process and to heal and and to put it out. And there's a little bit of a balance there between me protecting myself, right. And my story, um, in my heart, right. Along with sharing, you know, so that other people know that, that there is hope. Oh, totally. So what is Something that you would recommend to someone else in your shoes, someone else that is sitting where you were nine months ago, that feels broken and damaged and destroyed, and that there is no hope. What what would your recommendation for them be? What would you like couple, to tell them? <laughs> a couple things. Uh, one, I promise, uh, I promise you it can get better. Uh, and two you know, I did a lot of work right up, up until I met you, Don. And so it's yeah. not that I wasn't trying, it's not that I wasn't trying to do the oh, work I was trying you to do totally the right things, were... but I didn't have the right guide, right. I didn't have the right, the right person, right. To, to help me through it. And so, you know, whether it's Dawn or whether it's someone else yeah. find that right person, right. To walk you through what you experience um, and to help you heal. Um, don't just do the work to do the work, you know, do the work with, with, I don't know, with a purpose, right. Or with the right mm-hmm. foundation there to help you through it. Cause it's so worth it. It is. It is so worth it on the other side. And it's, it's a place that I come from as well. Right. And I remember mm-hmm. telling you that really early on, is there mm-hmm. so much beauty on the other side, you just got to get to the other side, mm-hmm. girl. I'm I- so yeah. proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Is there anything else you want to talk about right now? I don't think so. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for opening up, being this vulnerable and letting me interview you today. Keep fighting for yourself. You are worthy of it. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard. And we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.